Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast. By the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. Even though it was probably the most wretched game of the year. Except it got going there. It, it, It did get exciting right near the end. Um, due to some sp- spectacular play in the Oilers' nets and an overtime and a shootout, which I, I you know, those are always exciting. You're always kind of on the edge of your chair. The shootout was pretty good, um, but the Oilers had, the Oilers had a wretched game. The uh, Flyers weren't much better. I guess they were okay. Um, it was just, it was a horrible game, Bruce. The Oilers deserved to lose. They were lucky to get a loser point out of the game. Uh, which they did get. That's the only silver lining, but um, that was a really horrible game. What were the no grade good. A shots, dude? The grade A shots were 15 uh, to 1 second, sorry, Bruce. 15 for the Flyers, mm-hmm. 10 for the Oilers. Mm-hmm. And the Oilers had, and two of the Oilers came in. Um, well, two for both team came in overtime. So 15 to 10, and the orders had four or five alarm shots. And Philly the had six. six. Philly had six. So it, it the, the Flyers were definitely the deserving team. Two good things, two bad things, two numbers. Bruce, what is your good thing? Yeah, well, I'm going to go with uh, the goaltending and of both uh, Stuart Skinner and Carter Hart. This I thought this was an excellent goaltending duel. And it was uh, um, a showdown of a re-showdown of the 2018 WHL finals for the Ed Chenoweth Cup when Skinner and his, whose jaw was it? Swift Current, Swift Current. Uh, uh, this was Manny Viveros' team and in Swift Current Broncos beat uh, Carter Hart and the Everett Silvertips. So not exactly the most famous cities in the in the dub, but uh, uh, Everett's had a strong program forever, especially goalies. It's a goalie factory. And Carter Hart, I mean, 2018, he was in the league NHL pretty quick after that. And Skinner took a little bit the overland route, but he was every bit as, uh, as good and sharp as uh, Carter Hart tonight. And I would argue he made one less mistake than Hart did on the one Edmonton goal I thought was maybe stoppable. And... The one Philly goal, the guy took a shot and went ramped off a Tyson Berry stick right off the post and in. I mean, it went up and it also went a little sideways, hit the post and went in. Like the guy couldn't have picked that spot any better. And if he had picked the spot, Skinner probably would have stopped it. It was the deflection that beat him. And after that, I thought he was outstanding, David. Made a number of uh, very fine saves, very square to the puck. Like time and again, Philly would set something up and it would, you know, or it'd be a quick turnover, one, two pass, bang, shot. And it hit Skinner in the breadbasket. And he saved the very best for the 60th minute. This would have been an absolute killer, David. You wouldn't even be able to talk to me right now if this puck had gone <laughs> in. Off a lost, D, well, actually won the D zone face off and CC fumbled the puck behind the net and it was pass, pass shot high on the short side and Skinner came diving over with the blocker, put it up and over the net. I mean, to me, David, given the situation of when that happened, that is a save of the year candidate. 
Bruce, you know, that it's shot not just had... a glove grab sort of halfway through the second period of a 5-1 game. This saved the friggin' game. Simple as that. And uh, uh, so an extra plus for Skinner just for that save. I'd already named him as my good thing some time before that. And then he came up with that save. And uh, uh, right through the overtime, I mean, 36 shots, 35 saves. And unfortunately, he could not... Uh, uh, a couple of the Philly snipers picked a corner on him in the shootout, and only one of the Edmonton snipers was able to pick a corner on Hart. And uh, that was that. Uh, two one in the shootout for uh, uh, for Philly, but uh, uh, Edmonton's goaltending, I would say, ninety five percent of what earned him a point tonight was that uh, uh, Skinner was at least as sharp as Carter Hart when. I would argue overall the Oilers were not as sharp as the Flyers. And they were beaten and too. Anyway, we'll get into that a little bit later. So that's, let's smile and say, way to go, Stu. 10-game ten, ten point streak thanks to your stellar effort in this game. That was uh, indicative of Stuart Skinner's season, I think, Bruce, where he has played really well all year long, but he just is not getting the wins, you know, that uh, yeah. Jack Campbell is getting. Jack Campbell's uh, in the net when the Oilers are scoring more. And we've dug into mm-hmm. that in the past, but uh, we won't, and so I won't yes. belabor it. But, um, yeah, that, that shot. goal to support tonight, officially. Yeah, that that shot, he's got Stuart Skinner now has 13 wins and 13 losses. Mm-hmm. Um, that shot in uh, the 60th minute, Bruce, that, that it did indeed have clipboard apocalypse written all over it. Um, they were they were running for cover in your house. Every clipboard was shuddering in the dark. Especially that shot was going to go in. Indeed. His <laughs> other big save was uh, in overtime on Provorov, who actually broke in on a breakaway past uh, Ryan McLeod mm-hmm. and Darnell Nurse. And um, man alive. He made a good move, too. He came in hard, and he made a pretty good deke, and uh, Stuart Skinner hung in there. So it really was a fantastic game. And then in the shootout, you know, it was a weird shootout, Bruce. When McDavid, I don't, I, I'd have to look to refresh my memory, but I don't recall ever seeing Connor McDavid go in so slow on a shootout. And I could be wrong, but I don't think he, I think he usually got a bit more speed because he actually had heart beat if he had more speed. He just there was a moment where mm-hmm. he had him beat and he because he didn't get enough separation across like enough movement on heart what should have been an open shot was wasn't an open shot and then he tried to make a more difficult shot and he lost the puck but if he had just been moving faster he would have scored for sure and that mm-hmm. was that was i don't i don't get why guys move in so and here I am questioning Connor McDavid, the greatest goal scorer in the world right now. Nonetheless, I still don't understand why people move in slow in the shootout. You, speed helps. Like the goalies have the big equipment on. They're not as fast as the skaters. No way are they as fast going across the net. And you give up a huge advantage by going in slow, I believe. For what it's worth. Yeah, well, he's used that tactic before. And what he tries to do is he, he takes it all the way to the boards and he tries to go right to left. And count on the speed of his hands to be able to deke either way, depending on if, which way the goalie's leaning. You know, he'll he'll take it across or he'll pull it quickly back and try and deposit the short, uh, the backhand in the short side. Or even I think I've seen him lob the goalie where, you know, he just takes them wide and just flips it up and over. Um, but I pre- personally prefer more speed than that. I wish they have the old shootout rule where the, where the 
puck carrier starts at center and the defending player starts at at uh, the far blue line and chases him and actually makes it look like a hockey play. You know, all this damn foolery and trickery. You don't see hockey played that slow, except in their all exciting shootout scenario. Make the guy skate, make it play like, uh, you know. So that's what I used to like about the old NASL shootout where they had a, a hockey style. The guy started on the 35-yard line. He dribbled the ball in, the goalie came out, and he had to make a play within five seconds. So he couldn't just go around the perimeter. He actually had to attack. Cool. And I don't remember I'd like that. To see, I'd like to see some, some well, um, I'd like to see less of the shootout. Well, I mean, tonight we saw it. The Oilers are now 0 for 2 on the season and shootout. And only one goal, which was new just tonight. So, uh, yeah, they missed Kyle Turris on the shootout, Bruce. Five uh, straight overtime losses for the Oilers, which uh, is kind of hard to yeah. accept almost. Now that you mention it, like I, I probably do have a memory somewhere in my mind of McDavid going in slow. Like maybe, and maybe this is the one time out of out of three that it it's hasn't not the only one <laughs> where, where it hasn't worked out for him but anyway i just i prefer mm-hmm. when they've been there and then leon you just expect him to score like he's such a great shooter and he didn't score either it was uh we will, i'll get into this not exactly leon's night bruce this was a flyers two to one uh, victory but my good thing was the oilers second goal i just thought mm-hmm. that was a fantastic goal mm-hmm. uh it starts off with um the scoring place starts off with um pass up the ice Fogel to to Hyman who kind of tips it in and then Drysdale picks it up and makes an absolutely fabulous pass to Warren Fogel in the slot. Warren Fogel then does exactly what a shooter should do. He takes the puck hard to the net and um, Hart moves over to take him out and Fogel gets wiped out by that. And uh, Hyman uh, picks up the puck then mm-hmm. slams it home. Beautiful goal. Just a fantastic goal. And full credit to all the players on the ice for making exactly the the uh, correct play, doing their jobs, doing their jobs at like NHL players should. Just textbook hockey. Mm-hmm. You draw that one up. You know, any coach mm-hmm. would say that's exactly what every player on the ice should do, especially Fogel going hard to the net like that. Mm-hmm. Perfect. That's my good. Thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And the refs made the right call on the ice. Call they it did. a goal. They did. And then. John Tortorella challenged it, and you could see him ruefully shake his head, and I was pretty sure I'm, I'm, I could read his lips saying, that's going to be an effing goal. And he just sort of looked as the commentators, and were kind of rueful. They said, well, he's got to call it the way this game is going, but if he loses it, the Oilers get a power play. Well, guess what? He didn't lose it. They somehow determined that that was goaltender interference, and that... Uh, uh, the goal came back. No power play for Edmonton. In fact, zero power plays for Edmonton in the entire game, which leads me to my bad thing, which is the officiating in tonight's game, which sucked. And it was very, very one-sided refereeing in this game. The Oilers did not get one call in this game, David. No power plays. That goalie interference call, that was, to me, bogus. Uh, icing calls that the linesmen were pulling out of their rear ends, like, CC shoots it in from one inch outside of center, and then Kane wins the race to the puck. Like, flat out wins the race to the puck, and when Kane is recovering the puck behind the icing line, the linesman calls icing. I mean, what is that? So, 
And then, you know, and there was plays like McDavid. The guy just grabs McDavid by the arm in the neutral zone. It's, the puck comes out, and McDavid's winning a race back towards Oilers' end to, to save a possible breakaway. And the, and the guy who might have had the breakaway just arm locks McDavid and pulls him down to the ice. Both refs looking right at it. Nothing. Not a call to be had. All they did was get in the way of the puck, miss icings, and it, it was just brutal. So I'm going to go out of my way and call out the names of these guys, and I don't know them from Adam anymore, but uh, these guys tonight, Furman South. Uh-huh. Furman or Herman? Uh, Furman South, as in the team from the South gets the calls. Trevor Hansen. Uh, linesman Derek Nansen and Shandor Alfonso. And you guys had a real bad game tonight, and, and it wasn't just you missed some calls. It was all the calls you missed went against the same team. And as a fan of that team, that pisses me off. Shame on the refs. Well, just that be goal, fair that about goal it. Had to, that goal had to like, oh, I don't, that Brutal. That was the game. Come on. Like, he, he, he goes to the net hard, and Carter Hart trying to stop the puck, gets entangled with them. That's all that happens. And the guy and nudged him in there, but if an oiler had nudged him in there, they would say, oh, he pushed him in. He can go in there and grab his, hold his pads open and they can score, and that's okay. It's a bang-bang play. Like it's Or not, Zach Hyman. That's five now. Five goals. You can see, even as he scored it, Hyman knew, I think. <laughs> oh. <laughs> He's going to get shafted again. Bruce, right. listen, the... The real, the, the truth of this game was, this is the second night in a row that the Oilers have been out, pretty mm-hmm. solidly outperformed by an inferior team. And um, I hope it's a wake-up call. Like, honestly, they got a couple games this weekend. It'd be nice to win both of them. They've got to, they've got to start doing the right, playing hockey the right way again, doing the right things, hustling a little harder. And, um, you know, leading the non-effort was Leon Dreisaitl, who's the, the the bad thing is my non-effort, but I, I am going to highlight Leon because I think of all the non-efforters, he was the most effortless. And he, um, you're telling me, I think no shots again on net for the second? Zero shots for the second straight second, game. He, he only had straight. 21 in the 10-game segment, just finished. So he, there's something amiss. His defensive it, play is what I'm singling out, um, mm-hmm. though not his offensive play. You know, he can make up for a lot with his offensive play, and he, and he does. But this has been his worst defensive season, I think. And I'm not sure if there is an ongoing issue or what's up, but he's struggled all year defensively. Um, tonight he made five major mistakes on grade A shots against, including the turnover on the first goal. that um, He turns the puck over in the offensive end on a pass, a cross pass. You know, a fairly risky cross pass. It doesn't doesn't hook up with the player and the puck's going the other way and they come down and score. Um, Leon, he's, he's obviously a fantastic offensive player. He now and then has been a fantastic defensive player. He has that in him. And I, and I hope he will crank it up for the playoffs and be that player because it's absolutely critical if the Oilers are going to win the cup. But this year in the regular season, he hasn't been. And I'm not sure, like, I haven't done that look like over three years, the old five-on-five five goals against per 60. Mm-hmm. But I, having done it in the past, Leon's ranked poorly, and I, there's a reason for that, and it's because he freelances on defense. He doesn't play traditional defensive hockey, 
uh, stay on the right side of your man in the defensive zone. He's looking for the pickoff. He's looking for the pass. He's sometimes cheating for offense. He's he's a free thinker, uh, both on offense, where it really, really works, where he is almost unparalleled in his offensive game in the NHL. But on defense, the free thinking doesn't turn out so well. And tonight was one of those nights. So. How many errors or uh, five mistakes? Major, on... Five major mistakes on grade A shots. You know, and they only mm-hmm. and they had 15. So, you know, one third yeah, of them was right in the middle. Something's not right. And he made it for more than one pass in the offensive zone that wound up on an enemy stick. And when yeah. you know the one time he made the sensational play to make up for it all, orders got hosed. His, anyway. Tonight his feet weren't moving, like his legs weren't moving. And, you know, so there maybe oh, there's something wrong. wrong something wrong with them in terms or it could just be Bruce this is February it's a long season players go through lulls but this has been more of a it's he his his defense has been better in other years every other year that we've been tracking this his defense has been better than this year so I maybe you're right maybe there is something that's uh yeah, well he's a big he's a big guy and he gets heavy legs and that happens sort of randomly even when he's playing well he'll have a night where it's just his his legs yeah. aren't going, but this is really two in a row, and that's after that break. And if you watch the All Star game, three in a row because Leon was not good. In I the didn't watch game. the All Star game. Oh. I haven't watched one of those since. Oh, well, it's a period. It's not really a game. They get 20 minutes and then they go home. So anyway, it was. Uh, what 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 happens? They only play 20 minutes. Well, they play a three 20 minute games. The, oh. uh, the the Pacific plays the Central every year, and the Central right. wins every year, and then the Pacific goes home, and right. then uh, I wound up being the uh, Atlantic Atlantic that beat the Central in the final. Anyway, whatever. I only watched the first one, and then even at that, I mean, it was just sort of I'm a completist, you know. Got to get those rare rare rarities and B side type records to have all of the information so i watch at least the oilers players and once they were done i was kind of done too is it completist or completionist uh well it could be either i suppose but i'm pretty sure completist is an okay word i think it is too completionist but of course you know here's another short rant for me the All-Star game, they play three-on-three. Three. They don't ever call the whistles when the goalie freezes the puck, for goodness sake. But guess what? They keep that exciting on, offside challenge for the All-Star game. And they they had one again. NHL, sell your product. Get your heads out of your butts and sell your product, not that crap. <laughs> we are both, uh, we are both <laughs> have the completionist streak. Which is, oh. which is probably why we do the grade-A scoring chances, because we yeah. just feel like we can't not do it now yeah. and, and comment. Like, I feel like we can't. I can't do it and comment. It's very informative for the podcast, for the grading <laughs> really and is. stuff, and, and yeah. I guess that helps me feel like I'm following the thread of the game, you know, a little bit. And yeah, even and when it, you're surprised, sometimes the eye test tells you one thing, and you count it up at the end of the game, and you go, holy moly, five against. But other times, it's uh, oftentimes it tells you, uh, it it confirms what you thought you saw, and other times it tells you good things that maybe this guy did a little bit more in this game than I thought. So. That's right. Sometimes a guy has like suddenly ten grade A major contributions to ten grade A shots, and you think, oh, mm-hmm. 
I guess he's not a six in this game. He's an eight. And it's usually McDavid or Drysaddle, right? Because we're so used to seeing their greatness. I, at least, I, you know, this is how I feel about myself. I'm so used to seeing their greatness that it's it's easy to to rate them on a different scale than the other players and be a little harder, um, both in terms of their offensive play and maybe also in terms of their defensive play. I have high expectations for both of them. Bruce, uh, what is your numero? Oh, my number is eight. And this leads into actually what was originally going to be my bad thing. So I'm kind of cheating and get taking my second bad thing this way. And it's actually going to be my second and third bad things because eight is the number of official giveaways charged to the Edmonton Oilers in that game. Eight <laughs> giveaways in that game. And so uh, I'll give my bonus sort of, of uh bad thing to the minor scorers in Philadelphia who apparently weren't watching the same game that I was watching that had Edmonton constantly coughing up the puck. And I will say this, I thought Philly had an excellent game. I thought they checked the crap out of Edmonton and they were winning their races to pucks. They were winning the puck recoveries. They were winning the puck battles and Edmonton was losing more than their share of those things. Uh, Credit to Philly but also debit to Edmonton for the number of times they finally did get the puck. And if they did get it over the blue line, they didn't get it over center. You know, they just weren't able to make a decent play. And so many times it'd be one of the D men would have it. He'd look up ice and he'd pass it right to the Philly guy. It was like those black uniforms they were wearing was a cloak of invisibility or something. Because, you know, Bouchard did it, CeCe did it, Kulak did it. I think basically almost all the defensemen, Nurse must have done it at least once, uh, where they ha- had the puck and just passed it right to him. Couldn't get it out of the zone. Like their puck management in general was poor for probably 50 minutes of this game. And it was pretty good down the stretch until a disaster in the last minute leading to the fantastic save of the year candidate by Skinner where CeCe coughed up the puck behind the net and the defense was slow and rotating and reacting to the two quick passes and boom, but it was CeCe's puck all the way and he just kind of fumbled it and the next thing you know, he switched the two passes and uh, shot on the net and the killer goal narrowly averted. And that was, again, just poor puck management. A lot of it by the forwards, but a whole lot of it by the D-men in, in this game. And it was uh, there was just not much flow to it. I don't think the ice was probably very good, but uh, that bad ice is bad ice for both teams. So it's not really an excuse. It's just a, you know, it's like a muddy track. It is what it is. You have to deal with it. And I just thought Philly was just a little sharper, a little, a little more competitive even than Edmonton tonight. And even though it wound up in the shootout, I think probably the uh, better team on the, uh, over the course of the 65 minutes won. Much as oh, it bugs so. me to say that with Philly, which has never been my favorite team. Bruce, uh, my number is three. As in a three-way tie for second place in the uh, Pacific Division. Seattle, Edmonton, and Los Angeles all have 63 points right now. Now, Seattle has played one fewer games than Edmonton, one less game than Edmonton, and two less games than Los Angeles. So it's not exactly um, even Stephen here. The good news tonight uh, is that on the night the Oilers got a loser point, the, um, the Golden Knights beat the Wild, and the Wild are in continuous contention. I mean, the only way the Oilers don't make the playoffs is if 
these teams who have 58 points, the others have 63 right now, but Colorado, Calgary, and the Wild all have 58 points. There's two wild card spots. Um, I think two of those teams with 58 points will make it, um, and one of them won't. That's mm-hmm. how it's lining up. And so all three of them would have to surpass the Oilers. So anytime the Wild loses, I'm happy about that. And they, obviously, if the Avs don't make the playoffs, that's fantastic. Um, same goes for the Flames. It's just a, it's three of my least favorite teams. And um, although I actually the like Kings? the Avs. I hate the Kings and the de- and the, the Kings, Stars. the Flames, and the, oh, and the Stars. Okay. No, no, it's the Wild. It's the oh, Wild, okay. the Abs, and the Flames. But I actually like the. Oh Abs. right, they're tied with each other. Yeah. They're all tied with each other at 58. So the Kraken lost to the Devils. The Flames lost to the Red Wings, <coughs> two to uh-huh. one. So, in some ways, it was a very getting that. Gained a point, point on them. Could have gained. Yeah, two, but it was a good one. night in that way. So I'm 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 not um, crestfallen tonight. It was a Gary Bettman kind of night in Edmonton where we get the loser point and, uh, and the owners really needed that. So they got it. Yeah. Think about the loser point though. Is that, I mean, one point gets you nowhere. You, you just don't lose much ground, but I mean, it, on, on balance, the teams average about 1.1 points per game because of this cockamamie point system. And so if you, the thing to do, like the strategy, the optimum strategy is to take all the games to overtime and win half of them. If you did that, you'd get 123 points and win the President's Trophy by tying all your games. That's the system that Gary Bettman's got set up for the NHL. No more ties, just lots of tie games, you know. And anyway, you you know what the you got to win that second point in overtime. To me, the true Bettman point is actually the third point. They played to the tie. They got their one point each. Now the league has created an extra point and they play for it. And the Oilers have played for it and lost it five times in a row now. I got to fix that. Yeah. Well, Bruce, um, I want to ask you uh, about one other issue before we sign off tonight. <clears throat> so there's lots of talk about what the Oilers need to do. And, um, you know, having seen this team in, in this recent run of play, and they are plus 27 on goals differential this year, um, I'm not convinced that they have to do anything very much. I mean, I think they need another depth defenseman because de- depth defensemen get injured in the playoffs. I think another depth forward's a good idea because forwards get injured and they don't have a ton of depth right now. But I'm not actually, you know, you, listen, I'd love it if they could pick up a, a highly skilled forward like a L- Arturi Lekin in like Colorado did last year, you know. Oh. You know, that kind of trait, yeah. fantastic. But everyone's like jumping out of their skin saying they got to make a big move, you know. They, you mm-hmm. know, they want them to move that first over first round pick. They want them to maybe even next year's first round pick. They want to see this is the the window. You know, we can't miss the window. I get all of those instincts, but I like this team. And the fact of the matter is, when I took a close look at the lineup today, and I think Ken Holland has kind of performed a bit of a magic trick here, because he's turned over uh, six players on that roster. And some significant mm-hmm. players on that roster since last year. And it seems like no one's noticed it. Like, everyone's clamoring for change. There's been a lot of change on this team. And um, there's a lot of new players. And they've all come together. And they've kind of, this game, you know, was not their most stellar moment. But they've kind of found their, they're finding their roles. They're finding what they can do together. Uh, certainly the defensive group is in that category with 
DeHarnay replacing Chris Russell in a, just a really key role on the PK, which was a huge hole on the hole on the head all year. Right. Yeah, so I just my my I'm I'm kind of coming after the trade deadline. I'm not I'm not clamming for a trade. I was about a month ago. I recall. Um, I wanted to see them bring in a big, tough left-shot defenseman. But since that time, Brett Kulak's played better, and Philip Broberg has and been playing tougher. really well. And and the main difference, though, like, and it's funny that this, you got a little bit of uh, chiding because your good thing for the first half of the year, part of it was DeHarnay coming up and taking over that that role. But it's it, it is so significant, the mm-hmm. fact you have a guy who can be a shutdown D-man on the PK. Tyson Berry. On the right side. On the right side. Tyson Berry was struggling, struggling, struggling. He was just, just wrong thing to get him out there. Him and Bouchard. Yeah. That's all. Yeah, him and The horns of a dilemma. Who do you put out there on the PK? And when yeah. we did our four good things, four bad things podcast at uh, during the break there, Kurt was saying it was Bouchard that was, he was glad he was off the penalty kill. And I think I may have mentioned Barry that I was glad he was off the penalty kill. Either way, you got CC and DeHarnay, and now you've gone uh, 10 games since that horrible LA game, since DeHarnay came in, 10 games, two power play goals against. And, you know, and that's in a tight game like this, you know, power play goal, or, I mean, in theory, I mean, first of all, to get a power play goal, one does need to get an actual power play. So there's that. But at least the Oilers were able to saw off on special team 0-0. Almost scored, you know, Evander Kane on that wraparound. And, you know, one other observation from this game. The same thing happened in overtime, or maybe it was late in third. Uh, yeah, it was late in third because they were going that way. And... Uh, Kane did the same thing, and he did, he came charging right around the the net, and he got the exact same kind of shot away. He got it outside the the icing line, and he pulled the puck back just inside the post, and Hart got over it same way, just as fast, and he kicked it through the blue paint, and it was just kind of sitting there in the blue paint. And McDavid, who was trailing the play, saw exactly what Kane was going to do. He skated behind the net. All he had to do was the old Glenn Anderson. Put on the brakes, stop at the edge of the crease, tap it in. And he just skated right through his opportunity. And honestly, to me, he should have seen that one coming because Kane had done the same play earlier in the game. And you need your goal scorer, would-be goal scorers, in front of the net, not behind it. And so, anyway, watch that replay later and watch McDavid and then tell me I'm wrong. Well, we we both criticized the greatest goal scorer on earth tonight for his lack of goal scoring acumen. We could have had one more there by doing a pretty fundamental thing. You know, GTTFN and stop there with your stick on the ice. Even a great player can have. No, no, a, I'm, it's, a it's a one-off. I, you know, it's, no, it's even, a play I'm criticizing, not the play. Even a great player can have like a fuzzy moment or a fuzzy game. Like yeah. they're yeah. not, they're not robots. So we and we know mm-hmm. this. Bruce, no, so. What would you do at the trade deadline? Like, what's your feeling? Is it the same as mine, or do you feel, are you more on the, let's, 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 it, we can't miss the window. Are you on, we can't miss the window? The McDavid well, tri window? The window's pretty wide. I, I was on uh, TSN 1260 yesterday, and of course this question came up. And the quote that they attributed to me in the, uh, in the archived edition of the podcast version of it was, uh, uh, the Oilers would be foolish to go all in. 
And my specific comment, which was, I think, fairly accurately quoted, but the context wasn't given, was that the not to give up on a Philip Broberg to get a player who, you know, is going to be here in the short term. To me, I don't give them up. They're not doing that. And even though they got two more years of uh, of that contract, I don't think they're going to do it. I I praise Ken Holland for not jumping the gun earlier and waiting to see what Bro- Broberg could bring, even yeah. after his early season injuries. And we're starting to see it. I don't think he had a great game tonight, but, I, you know, he's uh, he's been bringing it pretty good lately. And he's got, um, uh, I mean, Ken Holland himself, he was on, uh, he's been, had a few availabilities lately on, uh, uh, I had an interview with uh, Dan Nugent Bowman of The Athletic. He was on uh, Stoffer's show. He was on Rashad's uh, podcast. And that was actually pretty good. Uh, He spoke to uh, Ryan Rashog and Mike Johnson and Pierre Lebrun. Mm -hmm. And he gave some of the details there. And he gave some of the things that people seem to actively scoff at. Why is he saying dollar in, dollar out? He's the least creative GM in the league. That's what I read a couple times today. And when you're on long-term injury reserve, you do not get to accrue any money. So... You're up to a limit, and when you when you bring in a new salary, you have to make room for it. And there's no, you can't say, well, we have $2 million for the first four months of the season, so we can now go and buy a $6 million player, which the teams, the few teams, competitive teams that aren't on long-term injury can do. And to me, he's just talking plain common sense, and he's just getting ripped for it. And I, I don't think that's right. Like, you got to understand the, the rules of the road a little bit. And he didn't break Oscar Kleffbaum's shoulder. I mean, he didn't. No. Ken Holland's not responsible for that. That's and that's why they're in long-term reserve. And Mike Smith. Yeah, um, well, and it Smith. is. And next year, hopefully, they're out of it because those two contracts yeah. both expire now. But it's it's been a uh, it's been a huge problem at all three trade deadlines of the last three years. That they, you know, there's not much they can do. I mean, last year they had to get Derek Broussard had a $900,000 contract in that range, and they had to get the other team to retain half so he could be on the payroll as a $450,000 player just to get under the limit. You know, I mean, it's not tight. So you could say there are ways, creative ways to do it. Now, sure, you can overpay or you can, you know, you have to move. If you want to get Chikrin, for instance, the way you can possibly do it is send Kulak the other way and Pugliarvi the other way and then work out the other details, which are going to be costly to Edmonton. Uh, but then you've actually created some cap space that you can replace those guys with Chikrin and, a, you know, a, an NHL minimum forward. And there's, there's, so it's, it's possible and other teams are doing it. But I mean, when New York Rangers go out and get Vlad Tarasenko and people say, see, other teams can do it. New York had $4 million in cap space. And St. Louis retained half of Tarasenko's seven and a half million dollar contract. Well, guess what? They got room. Oilers don't, and it's it's a uh, it's a conundrum. Uh, there are there are things that could be done. You know, you could even trade for Eric Carlson if you got the right retention on on uh, on salary. Uh, I'm less convinced on the all in in turn in in that respect that. Uh, Drysdale's yeah. got three playoffs left, and McDavid has four. And, and the other point that Holland made, and I could not agree more with, is the fact that you have to have young, 
players coming up through your system who outperform their contracts. And if you wind up trading all of those guys to bring in the superstar or two of your choice, then where the hell are you next year? Like, who's going to be the cheap labor if you've traded all of Broberg and Bo- Borgo and, and uh, Holloway and so on to, you know, to bring in some other guy that's got a reputation but may already be past his best in many cases? So... I'm, I mean, I'm a build from within guy always. So my, I'm usually a sort of play your cards close to your chest, maybe get a player here or there. And I do think they could use a defenseman uh, that could be trusted in, uh, in uh, uh, tough minutes. So even a four or five kind of defenseman, uh, just to add some little depth. Unfortunately, that is not Ryan Murray based on anything that we've seen this year. And he can't stay healthy anyway. But there are guys out there like that, uh, you know, yeah. you could probably get Ali Mata from Detroit, for instance, for a fraction of the cost of uh, some of these other guys. And I'm not saying he's Chikrin, but I'm also not saying that Chikrin is God's gift to hockey, that he's just going to come here and bam, Stanley Cup. And that's what Holland said, too, is that he said there's no magic recipe that you just sprinkle fairy dust on, on a trade and it guarantees you the Stanley Cup. And he made the point that in the last uh, 16 years, uh, the team that won the President's Trophy has won the Stanley Cup two times. And they've basically been the favorite all 16 years, the next thing to it. And, you know, the best team doesn't always win, even if you, if you give yourself the best chances possible. But his objective is just to get back in the playoffs year after year after year and give yourself a chance. And that's where we seem to see Edmonton is now. And frankly, uh, you know, at this point, I want to see frankly McDavid and Drysaddle themselves pick it up a little bit and start winning their portion of the games a little bit more often. They've been uh, uh, they've been uh, uh, given up as many as they've been scoring on the five on five part of the game, and uh, we know they have a long track record of being better than that. Well, it's time to get back to those, uh, put the work boots on on that front, and so it's. It's no easy answers, I guess, is uh, what Holland said. And I just found myself nodding a lot to what he was saying. And it's not because I'm some Ken Holland sycophant. I've criticized him on lots of stuff. But uh, he is, uh, uh, you know, he's got uh, a good old dollop of experience and common sense and old-fashioned wisdom. And uh, sometimes, you know, you need to sort of dig in and, what are the what are the real options here, and are they better off to 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 hold them or fold them or up the ante? You know, mm-hmm. I think uh, you know, Pooley Harvey could be an interesting player for Arizona. Uh, it could be a good fit for both the player and the team. I think he's. I think there's a player there, and um, I again I don't weigh in on like players like chicken because I don't watch them. I haven't watched them. I haven't done the work. Most people weighing in on chicken have not done the work. They, they have a valid opinion in my view. I don't, I just, I just see them as like, there's no credibility in, in their assessments as far as I'm concerned. That said, you know, by reputation, Chikrin does sound like he's a better player than Kulak and Kulak struggled this year. So if you're, if you're moving Kulak out and pulley RV and then obviously a first draw draft pick, maybe a top prospect as well, mm-hmm. maybe even more for mm-hmm. Chikrin. I mean, that doesn't sound like crazy talk to me, but you have to get Arizona to agree to it. And they have all these potential suitors, right? And they're, they're going to pick right. the best deal out of the 
however many teams, six, seven teams that might want Chikrin. So it's good luck, you know, good luck. And you, you sure don't want to give up too much. Um, uh, like you say, like there's Xavier uh, Borgo, there's Raphael Lavoie, who's finally on a real hot streak mm-hmm. in the minor leagues. There's, you know, there's your top picks. There's Reed Schaefer. There's all these things you can trade for, for Chikrin. Um, but I do think you'd probably want to move a defenseman um, and it, it sure better not be Philip Broberg. If it's Kulak, then, you know, I think that that makes more sense in a trade, but we'll see. I don't, I don't, I don't see the Oilers getting Chikrin. I think some other team will want him more um, than the Oilers do. Oh, and, the Kings. Know, and we'll, they'll pay, they'll pay more. <laughs> and maybe the Kings have more prospects. Yeah, they do. And they got so, more draft picks. The Oilers are always in a deficit position on future draft picks. And that catches up with them. And, you know, they're always trading next year's draft picks at this year's deadline kind of thing. And, you know, that's deficit financing of uh, uh, that's, you know, hard to maintain because the draft picks in the future have less trade value today than the ones that are coming right up. And the Kings could trade for Chikrin and not make the playoffs quite easily. I mean, because they're yeah. right on the cusp. They're they're minus 10 mm-hmm. on goal differential. They're not a great team. They're a marginal mm-hmm. team. So they they should be careful about spending mm-hmm. the farm, all their prospects mm-hmm. on Chikrin too, right? Because, I mean, he does have two more years on his contract after this year. So so that, that yeah. there's there's that's what makes this trade a little bit different. So anyway, Arizona, we're Arizona has uh, uh, had him on the block, though, for it seems like a year and a half now and still no takers. So are they asking too much? Like if Ken Holland's sitting on his hands, what are the other 30? general managers doing are they all sitting on their hands too yeah he's trending on tri- twitter every day chicken's there oh, i'm tired of it me too and pull i'm tired of the pulley oh, army yeah. stuff too. Yeah, like yeah, both, both. Of these, both of these things like it's been taught literally talked to death let's see what happens, happens is my view let's see what happens yeah and let's talk about the games that were played tonight and are ongoing and the team that we're seeing on the ice we saw some uh Less than great things tonight, and yet we saw a team with a with a goalie and enough uh, to you know to get a uh, pull a point out of a of a uh, very iffy road game. You know, in the past they would have lost that game four or five one. That's and that is the difference. That is the difference. Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime. And in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.